welcome back to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch. This season, we're talking to digital growth and demand gen marketers about how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. I'm Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Gen here at Notch. This time, I'm welcoming two guests, Karina Owens, Senior ABM Manager at Gong, and my colleague, Matt Cross, Growth Marketer at Notch. We sat down for a conversation about using content to speed up the buying cycle, sometimes called increasing pipeline velocity. We covered a lot of funnel metrics from top to bottom, including how to align on objectives with your sales team, being a steward of data throughout your organization, and using control groups to prove your program's results. Plus, we dive specifically into some behind-the-scenes work Karina employs for a successful ABM program. Hello and welcome, everybody. My name's Ellen. I'm really excited to have you. I have got a couple of co-hosts with me today. The first one is Karina Owens, who is Senior Manager of ABM at Gong. And the second one is my colleague here at Notch, Matt Cross. And we're here today to talk about how you can use content in an efficient sales cycle from SDR to ABM and everything in between. Karina, go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks, Ellen. Happy to be here with everybody. My name is Karina Owens. As she mentioned, I currently am leading ABM for the Enterprise Solutions team at Gong. I've been in the SaaS marketing space for quite some time, but also have a background in education. So I have a lot of different interests and perspectives and really happy to connect with you guys here today. We're excited to have you. Matt? I'm Matt Cross. I'm on the growth marketing team here at Notch. Previously, as Ellen said, on the sales side, I made the jump maybe six months ago. Very happy to be on this side of the, I don't know what, aisle or something. I came from probably five years in SaaS sales from SDR to AE. And I have a background in kind of food and restaurants is my hidden talent. Matt makes delicious chocolate on the side. Not kidding. I'm only pushing that because you post about it on LinkedIn sometimes, and therefore it feels like I can say it professionally. For sure. Wonderful. So we're here to talk a bit about ABM and content. And I know, Karina, that's where you thrive. So I was hoping you could kick us off with a question of what is ABM and what ABM is not. I have a feeling it's a bit more nuanced than the photo Matt just posted on LinkedIn of Dr. Evil saying it's like marketing with freaking laser beams. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think that what ABM at the end of the day really is, is just really good marketing. And what I always try and share with everybody is not let the acronyms or all the tech vendors confuse you about what it is. Because what it really is means that it's a very custom program for how you're going to market with who you think are your best fit customers. Whatever that looks like for your organization should look completely different than what it looks for mine, right? Because it should be unique and specific to how you're going to market with your key accounts. I love that. Matt, what's your experience fitting in with kind of what Karina just said? I completely agree. I think there's a lot of confusion around what ABM is and actually how to do it. I think one of my first jobs, I was at a BDR under marketing and my boss at the time kept talking about ABM maturity and I didn't really understand it. But I think it's a journey and not a single kind of action or short period of time. Does that mean that it starts... Once someone is pretty far down your funnel, where would you say ABM starts to kick in? Matt or Karina, happy to have you answer. I think that depends on the metrics you're... And I know we're going to get a little bit more into that too. I think it depends. For us, it's certainly always on. We're always educating. We're always informing. But I do think that you can get more personal and specific to these accounts as they move further down the funnel. 
a lot of how you're going to prove your bank for your buck with these different investments is going to be at that later stage sales cycle where you know that you're fully in it. It's between you and others. But I do think that it's always on. But I think you're going to be able to prove the effectiveness and deliver the most personalized piece of content or programs once you are actually in a buying cycle. So thinking more that as you move further along, as you learn more about that account or about that person, you might be able to be more effective. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the times people do get stuck with the starting out with ABM in more of the targeted demand kind of approach. Really, that's not very custom, right? It's probably maybe custom to a specific set of industries or lookalike accounts from how you're personalizing, but it's not truly unique to that one customer. So the only way you can get into providing more of those unique experiences is if you're really hand-to-hand combat with sales in the side of the sales cycle with them. I will specify that that's hand-to-hand combat on the same side as sales, not hand-to-hand combat against sales trying to bring <laughs> everything in. A hundred percent. That's a great way, Matt. I'm going to loop you back in. What would you say are some of the things that you would look for, hope for in a really strong marketing and sales relationship? Because I think that's one of the key reasons that an ABM program would be successful. I think first you have to have the same objective and agree on that. Otherwise, you get into the marketing sending MQLs over here and they're terrible and the sales team hates them and marketing is like, well, you just hit my number, which is an ABM at all. But I think that and then understanding and trust in like what each other's roles are and that they each kind of team has their roles to play and that you need each other to kind of one run marketing, the other is to like inform in how that collateral and strategy is working. So I think it's just the general overall like trust in working together. And I think you can start with that, Matt, to your earlier point, when you align your objectives and mm-hmm. metrics together. So that's something that I look to do pretty quickly when I'm coming on to any new organization is I'm not trying to create separate goals and metrics for my function that don't align to my sellers and other go-to-market team functions. And then once we kind of start to get into that rhythm, I do try to extend that a little bit further and actually provide very specific SLAs or service level agreements with the different teams, whether that be BDR, SDR, or the account executive team or customer account executive team, so that we are all in agreement that these are truly must win accounts and we have to be in alignment. And so sometimes it does take creating specific SLAs to make sure that you guys are in lockstep across the different groups to get there. Two of the things that I want to just highlight within that is that one is that you're not sitting there thinking, what are the metrics that I personally need to be turning up? It's that look to the bigger business outcomes, the bigger business goals, and build down from there, making sure that all of your work is going to ladder up to that. But then the second thing, I think we've heard... So a service level agreement just with an internal team, I think is really smart. The other way that people might have heard that is that it's a brief or just an outline, something that really specifically says, this is what either success will look like, this is the steps we're going to take, and then we'll assess afterwards. Just to get that communication there is crystal clear. Yeah, clear roles and expectations across the internal teams. We did have a question come through. The question came in was just about how ABM started at Gong. How did you set it up? Or what were some of those first steps that were taken? And I think you might have been hired on at Gong into the ABM team. So if you've had any experience setting up an ABM program. I would say that ABM at any company I've ever been at, I have built it from the ground up. I've stepped into organizations that have piloted it, which is similarly to what happened for me here at Gong. 
but it takes a lot of time and a lot of lessons learned. And Gong is still pretty much in its infancy. We haven't been around for a terribly long time, even though it seems like we have. And so ABM was very new. And I think it very much coincided and kind of pushed to digital selling when we all experienced that at the start of the pandemic and realizing that this would probably be a really strategic strategy to try and implement when we are kind of facing these macroeconomic times and things of that nature. So it's still evolving. I would say that most people probably kick off ABM with that one-to-many approach or the targeted demand approach just to get some initial learnings and testing and different campaigns, projects. Tech alone is a huge implementation. I often recommend starting with one to zero pieces of technology to use what's in place and prove out some programs and methodology, then look to roll out some of those bigger suite ABM tech vendors that you might have heard of. So we're still exploring that and expanding upon it, but it's still pretty unique too to I think our sales cycle. So we have a lot of different segments here from commercial, which is our bread and butter, to enterprise, which is something that we're still expanding into. So I think that a lot of marketers can be maybe intimidated isn't the right word, but it's word many years from now when they see these other companies that have all these different ABM roles and it seems so new, but the concept is pretty simple, right? Target your best fit accounts and align internally. It's something that I wouldn't ever hesitate folks to be afraid to get involved or be intimidated by it. It's something that takes a lot of time. So it's still very much a new formalized discipline of marketing. And there's still a lot for the community to learn about what are best practices and what makes most sense by different organizations. Yeah, I saw a couple of great posts on LinkedIn lately that talk about how the metrics or even just the strategies that you're employing for your company need to be for your company. It's really easy to look to other companies and see that they're doing ABC thing and think, let's chase that. That might not be where your company is right now. No. And I think too, you know, ABM was the hot topic a couple of years ago. And now kind of the hot trend is to diss ABM. But it all depends on how you adopt it in your organization, how you deploy it, how you define success. ABM probably isn't for every level of maturity organization. So yeah, I think it's totally dependent and it's very easy for us to kind of follow somebody with the loudest amplifier right now or the biggest brand presence and think that's exactly how we should do it. And if we're not doing it that way, then we're wrong. But it's just completely custom and unique to what you know is going to work best for your business and your buyer. For sure. I do want to dig into that just a little bit more. But first, Matt, I wanted to toss this over to you and ask from your side, when you were in SDR, when you were in AE, I know this is before Notch, but like I know the marketing team brought to you this crazy idea of an ABM targeted program. What was it about the program that you bought into or what was it that they presented that had you saying, this sounds like something like it's going to work? Which time are you talking about specifically? Either time. I know that there have been varying degrees of success for implementation. So I think it'd be interesting actually to hear what was successful and what wasn't. Alan and I have worked at a couple of companies together. This is number three, all with a varying kind of degree of ABM program. So the first one, it was already kind of up and running kind of in its infancy, which is where I think I bought into it because the content that we were producing was super relevant to our audience because they've been around for 15 years or something like that. And they knew who their target customers were. So they had a ton of knowledge, industry knowledge. That content was kind of like catnip for executives, like getting meetings with SVPs at Fortune 500 companies wasn't terribly hard. And then from there, that company got acquired and 
my boss and I went to Atlanta to try to pitch the idea of ABM. And they said, no, this doesn't work for us at all. And then here at Notch, we started it last year. And we did like a pilot for about a quarter. And we were like, very much so, this doesn't work for us yet. We don't know who our target customers are. We can't invest this kind of resources towards this because we can be entirely wrong. So that's actually what I wanted to toss back to you, Karina, is what are some of the indications in a company that might say you are or are not ready for an ABM program? Yeah, it's a really great question. And it's often what I tell people when they're launching an ABM program is to not be afraid to over-communicate the success or failures of it. A lot of times I have launched ABM programs where I walked into an organization that was certain that their product was a right fit for this new industry vertical and was certain that these were the types of topics and pain points that we needed to address. And the ABM program actually proved that hypothesis wrong. So even though it wasn't the most flattering from my perspective or the companies to share back and say, hey, this really is not landing. These accounts are not in market to buy. This is not a priority for them right now. They actually need an incredibly customized solution based on industry regulations, et cetera. It really helps to refine the company's go-to-market strategy. And there was an ROI I could associate it with too, so that we weren't continuously spinning up product enhancements, you know, that costs a lot of money, or spinning up a bunch of money on industry events or content. And we pivoted our strategy to focus on an industry vertical that was not originally the focus for go-to-market or EVM. So I think that it's really important that when you're in this seat to really act as a steward of data and share those findings early and often, over-communicate. It's never too much communication. You're getting really valuable insight when you're launching these programs because they're so aligned to the customer voice and the feedback they're sharing back with you. So it certainly can happen that you launch an ABM program and it invalidates the original hypothesis for how your company wants to go to market. Awesome. I think that's been excellent advice so far. So that was kind of covering the setup and the buy-in and everything like that. And we are, of course, here to talk a bit more about the content and how that all relates to either wherever you might be using it in your customer or your sales journey. So we have a couple of great questions there from Veronica. So wondering, do you still create regular or more generic marketing programs together with ABM? Or did you switch to ABM entirely? Yeah. So at Gong in particular, we do have a pretty hefty product marketing and content marketing team that is focusing on the masses. So they identify content for our key personas and our key industries. And ABM actually really is the steward of content for specialized information, particularly as we're looking to move up into enterprise. We're so in the weeds with sales about what is resonating with our macroeconomic messaging. What part of the product is really giving that aha moment to the customer? And then we provide that insight back to the core content team so that they can then think about what new pieces of content that we don't already have for certain personas or industries. And they actually take our findings from our work with the field to make that custom content. So we do have our always-on sales content since that is our big bread and butter. But it's actually the work that we're doing in market accounts and ABM that's providing the groundwork for what the content's going to look like for Gong in the future. So that's actually pretty interesting to me. It sounds like even though it's a really targeted message that you have from ABM, you're taking what's working there and then extrapolating it out versus trying to find insights from the bigger bucket of data that you would have from your broader marketing program. It's both. And it's okay. just constantly like working hand in hand in this, I guess we could call it a flywheel or whatever the word would be for marketing right. today. But yeah, it's just constantly a feedback engine loop that we're just pumping in and out to make sure that we're not only seeing 
and focus with what the market needs today at large, but also what is really key for those core set of accounts that we've identified and what matters most to them that we know is likely going to matter in the future too for accounts that look like them as we expand. Do you have a formal feedback structure set up or is it that your team's just really aligned and always talking? You know, I don't think there's ever a perfect scenario. I'm not going to lie. But what we try is we're fortunate enough to really drink our own champagne here and use our tool. And I'm a huge fan of Gong. I've been using it at other organizations long before joining here. We actually set up trackers so that we are tracking those key pieces of content and we're pulling out what the audience is saying. And then we're able to filter that in real time back to the content team. But we do also meet on a monthly basis and we will make sure that we are pumping back information from what we're hearing from the customers, but also from what we're hearing from our sellers who are on the field day in and day out. So it's a bit of both, a bit of informal and formal for sure. Got it. Matt, how are you incorporating that either feedback from the ABM or the different ways that Karina's mentioned? It's always hard. Like you can say, create a feedback loop and it's easy, but it's not. There's never anything perfect. I've never had the pleasure of using Gong. So it's always just in constant communication between sales and marketing and like what they're hearing back from talking with prospects. Also just in like the engagement data and wherever you have your public facing content how it's resonating with people, how it's impacting the middle of the journey or the end of the journey, and just understanding wherever that content is, where the data is, to understand how it's working. Yeah. And I think what you said is really crucial is that it's constant communication. It's something I just preach that there's no way to over-communicate, I think, in a job. So I make sure that I'm doing ad hoc Slack messages. And I also meet one-on-one with my go-to-market account teams. We have quarterly and monthly revenue meetings. But I also do things like an ABM newsletter where I'm showing the sellers like, hey, this is the ad or this is the content that worked for these types of people as inspiration so that they can hopefully feel they have everything in their arsenal to go to market and create that same effect that others are seeing. So I think the key of what you said there, Matt, is that there is no perfect solution. So try them all and do not worry about annoying anybody. I can promise you your sellers will not be annoyed with information like that. Yeah, I think... That's key is that you have to try everything at first to figure out what's going to happen. And I think the only wrong answer would be to not do anything. As long as you're trying, you have to get over the perfect and just go for the good or even sometimes just the done. A hundred percent. Got it. So let's move a bit into talking specifically about the content and then we will go into breakout rooms right after this. Another awesome question from Veronica. So thanks for these, Veronica. How does the content creation process work under ABM? Does it differ from a more general marketing approach? And I think as well, how do you identify what content is or isn't working well? What are some of those signals that you would use as kind of just, I would say, a lighthouse? Let's go towards that one. Yeah, the one I'll kind of touch on, because I think we talked a little bit about like new content creation or how we get feedback on that. I'm a big proponent of the 80-20 rule which is essentially 80% of the results are coming from 20% of the effort. And something that we found was a really great data insight for us was data that we were getting from former raving fans. It's actually an operating principles for ours too, is to create more raving fans. And we're really fortunate as marketers here that we have a ton of them. And considering the volatility of the market, we're finding people are moving from job to job three times a year, sometimes even more. So it's a lot more than I think we were used to, particularly in SaaS. And what we've done is we've partnered with a data company called User Gems, and we've shared with them, hey, these are our former users or power users, or these are the people that gave us an NPS score of X. 
please let us know when they move and change jobs. And because it can happen so frequently, a lot of your manual LinkedIn sales navigator reports or different Salesforce reports can break down. So this data input, we've actually created this process where the entire account team gets a very specific Slack alert once this movement happens. And then we have an orchestrated play that puts them into a program, but it's designed for these sellers to be super personal and intentional about their outreach. So when they see this movement happen, they do coordinate with our account team that previously served them to really get an understanding of the account. What do we do for them? Were they a power user or were they somebody that was involved in the front end of the deal? Did they help us champion in other parts of the business, et cetera? And we have found incredible results from this. I mean, one of them just anecdotally basically said, yes, I was a form user, loved it, and I'm ready to get it here at this company. Let's partner together with how we can sell to the broader team. I mean, what kind of better message can you get from something that's seemingly a cold outreach, but is super, super intentional? And that's really helped us to accelerate a lot of our deals. So it's a campaign, it's a tactic, it's a data point, but there's content within that too. So I wanted to just call that out as something that's been really helpful for us is just focusing on the people that we know, love us, know us, and can be our champions and creating a program and content designed to serve them. Happy to dive into that further with anybody too. Great. Matt, what are your thoughts on the kind of content that you might be using throughout? And I would expand that then to the whole cycle, not specifically ABM, but like any place that you've used that in sales. Yeah. I really liked what Karina said about user gems and just finding your past customers. I've had a lot of success with that manually. And just getting the same responses, people that have moved jobs, but they used to use your product and you just reach out to them and say, Hey, how's it going? Do you think it makes sense there? And that's about it. And then they just respond kind of similar to that. Like, absolutely. Yes. I'd be happy to. And then they're instantly your champion. But anyway, aside from that, I think content just along the whole sales cycle, it needs to be just really useful. I always think for your intended audience. It needs to help them do their job better. And it's almost like what I always look for now. Like if you just are some kind of fluff sales content piece, I'm probably not going to pay attention to it. But if like you actually help me solve that problem specifically in that moment, then I'm going to pay attention to you much more. A lot of where I've seen that come from internally is having your own SMEs who have had that job, who've done it, who understand the pain points and then creating the content through that way. And then being able to talk to a higher level as you go through the sales cycle. So like you want to be able to have whatever the level of person you need in the room to make the decision, like a VP or an SVP, that you can speak to them and hold their attention in a meeting with the content as well. I want to just piggyback off of that, Matt, because I think a really great way to think about that is aligning your key personas with key personas at your organization. So maybe Matt can't speak to a CEO. I mean, Matt, I'm sure you can, but aligning your CEO with theirs or your RVP of sales with theirs, that can help them to disseminate that content so much easier. So maybe you had a really great research report that you just released. Maybe it's not best suited for your SDR to send out. Maybe it's better to have their peer send out that content and make sure that they're also engaging on the flip side. Make sure that your RVP of sales is also engaging with their content on LinkedIn or whatever that social media platform is. So speaking that language, it's really easy to do. You do have to set up some systems and some teachings and alignment internally. But that's probably the best way to do it is to give the content that your team has created and make sure that you're allowing your different personas at your company to share it and speak on behalf of it. That is really exciting. And we have one comment coming from Phoebe. She said to double down on what Matt said. 
think a lot of times within D2B, content is so theoretical and high level. It's the tactical stuff that is so much more compelling, which I have to agree. That is almost exactly why we're here today is to get some tactical information. How are you measuring either the ROI or the success or failure of an ABM program? And I would say, I don't necessarily need to know your exact failures or successes, but what are those key things, your strategies and tactics that you would use to understand? Ooh, that's a good one. Because I wasn't always deeply involved in the measurement of it. But I think you have to start kind of at the beginning of your audience journey when they first start their contact with you. Some of those leading metrics are not so set in stone. Things that you hear people talking about, seeing people share things, positive things that the sales team is saying, going into more kind of harder metrics of more like maybe meetings and pipeline or some sort of engagement on your content. If you're able to identify specific accounts, I know we were doing a while ago, we would measure how many clicks and email opens we would get in specific accounts. This was a few years ago when it was a little more reliable of a metric to understand where you're getting the engagement from. And I guess that's like the broader overall metric of especially a leading indicator is like, where's the engagement of the target accounts that you have? Yeah. So I think for us, when it comes to ABM, we're really able to prove out the metrics of larger deal size and less time between stages. So we're moving people through the funnel a lot faster and we're closing bigger deals when we deploy an ABM strategy. I think prior to being able to show that, because a lot of sales tables can take a lot of time to prove that out, is are you attracting more accounts to your content or to your website or to your social media platform? Are you increasing the buying committee? That's a really big one that we use to have a leading indication of success. And are we identifying the right people at the right point in the sales process as well? So even pre-pipe, do we have the right people engaged, identified? There's a lot of look back that I do just to gut check. And I always have a control group as well. So similar accounts that haven't gone through that same level of customization and treatment and program spend. We just did a really great end of quarter review where we did see that 100% more engagement when we did deploy a strategy compared to those with the control group. So I think it's really critical to have that in place as well when you're looking back. So there's something to compare it to or have a frame of reference. I think that's genius and very scientific and something that's really overlooked a lot in an A-B test. I think especially in marketing, we think of it as it's basically two brand new things that you're going to throw out there instead of saying your status quo against these two new things. So I think super wise and an important detail. I also like you talked about a couple other things. So the time to actually closing the deal has been shortened and increasing the buying. I can't remember the phrase you used, but the number of people who are buyer group. There you go. The really complicated word group. (laughs) But the buyer group of people who are now involved and who might have seen themselves like a use case that they could really associate with in your product to start being an internal champion as well really starting to expand outside of just that one, probably the initial contact that you had one or two people. Right. So, or the desired, right? Because I think a lot of times organizations want you to go after that C-level. They yes. may not be crucial at the early stage, but that end user persona that often gets less love and treatment is. So it's been really helpful too to identify when are we most successful at bringing in these different kind of roles. 100%. I love that. So we've got about 10 minutes left. I wanted to just toss it back out to the audience. What questions are left over for this conversation about ABM? I had a quick question. In your experience, what type of 
content has gotten the most engagement or performed the best in ABM program? Two types of content. One has been like a state of the industry report, something where we've either partnered with a really credible organization like HBR Analytics, or we've ran it ourselves, which is a lot more time consuming, but something that really speaks to your audience and helps them to get a benchmark on where they could or should be. And pairing that often with a credible organization to your audience is really, really beneficial. Plus, you have all these different data points that you can repurpose and use in other areas. So it's just something that's like continuously giving us bang for our buck. But also then events. So we do a lot of what I call use case events or even sometimes like a demo day. So always having an opportunity for, again, these buying groups in my space are quite large. So having something where they can pop in for an intimate experience, maybe like an executive roundtable where they're doing peer-to-peer networking, or also having just like a always-on demo program that you run weekly or bi-weekly or whatever makes sense for your organization. It's kind of this always-on content loop where people are getting different strategies and ideas with their peers. And I found that both of those two pieces of content that I mentioned are the best way to build trust and favorability is by giving the people what they need, which is really more access to their peers and more data points. So those are the two pieces that have been most successful. Excellent. Matt, what are your thoughts? My experience is the industry thought leadership piece of content really did really well. The one that we did was we did it quarterly and it was on specific industry verticals that we were targeting. And we went out and did a panel study. So it was first party research. And then you could, from the sales side, go and say, Hey, Chase Bank, do you want to know your customer satisfaction score? And how does it stand up against Bank of America? And it was super easy. Every executive at those kind of companies wants to know how they compare to their peers. And so it opened the door to a lot of conversations. And then it brought in the buy group that we were talking to pretty quickly because everyone wanted to share it with their boss and other their colleagues and then accelerated the deal cycles because what we had and what we were showing was actually kind of what our product did at the time. So then you'd start getting deeper questions and you just say, yeah, we can do that in an ongoing engagement. And then they'd be like, oh yeah, absolutely. This makes a ton of sense because I need this data and I want to answer this question and we don't have it. And from the marketing side, I can say that was another place where Matt and I worked together. We took the report and we chunked it out into an executive report where for the really key accounts, we actually just put all of their numbers on one page and said, there's more in this report. Like, and here it is for free, like not gated, just sending the PDF out to them as well. But if you want to understand more context, come on over and book a meeting. That was basically my parting gift to that particular company because I left two weeks later after booking six meetings for them. But it was something that was just highly tailored, highly relevant, and very valuable. That's where I would say, especially for ABM, that's going to be one of the trifectas. There's probably many, but something that you're looking to do. Thank you so much, Karina and Matt. Any parting words of wisdom for the audience? Trust yourself. You know what's best for your team, your marketing organization, and let that be your guiding light versus just all the noise you see out there. And I was just thinking ABM is more like a journey than it is a session. So it takes a long time and set the expectations from the beginning. Both really wise. And I think you could almost like take it to heart, not just doesn't stop with your marketing program, but even for yourself, you could really start to apply those things. It's not be authentic and it's not about today. It's about the whole journey. Thanks for listening to Pros and Content. 
don't forget to subscribe if you found this episode informative. This season, we're focused on how marketers prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. Find more episodes wherever you're listening and learn more about uncovering your organization's true audience journey at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com.